Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Perspective is important when it comes to enjoying beer and understanding the industry. This episode features a panel comprised of directors of three state brewing guilds. We'll get into the show in just a moment, but first, Caleb Schwecki of Yakima Valley Hops is here. The company is a sponsor of this episode, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And we're talking about new experimental hops. This is always the big question among brewers, Caleb, and beer geeks alike. What's new in hops? And let's start off by talking about HBC 1134. Absolutely. So 1134 uh, from the Hop Breeding Company, that's HBC. So that really got a good showing at the Craft Brewers Conference this year, CBC. That was a ton of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And there were some really good beers brewed with 1134. But one of the reasons why I'm personally a fan of it is because it's a new age noble hop, if you want to call it that. It really has that that classic like European noble character, a little rose, a little pine, a little cedar, a little herbal elements, maybe some citrus stuff in there. But, you know, it's kind of like that Hollertown middle fruit with some saws in there, but a little bit higher oil content. Uh, so definitely more potent and aromatic. And then the the alphas are up there as well. So it's really nice just because personally, I'm drinking a lot of pilsners and lagers right now. So especially in the summer months. But so, you know, seeing a, an awesome American noble style hop is awesome. I love it. And and pills and lagers are where you're seeing this shine and excel in great ways. Absolutely. That's kind of what it was bred for. So the the hop breeder from John I. Haas at HBC, Michael Ferguson, he's a Pilsner drinker, just loves them. Uh, you know, the clearer the beer. So he's been trying to breed <laughs> his own lager hop. Uh, for himself. And this is it. So it's, you know, he's excited about it. It definitely shines in those lighter styles. There have been some brewers using it in IPAs because there is, is, you know, some good oil content to it. So the potency is up there and then citrus, it, it offers some really good citrus too. So it, it, it kind of fits into a wide range of styles, but definitely targeting the the Pilsners and lockers. That's awesome. I mean, that's that's where I'm drinking these days. So uh, brewers, get at it. Um, Caleb, thanks so much. You're going to be back with me at the bottom of the show to talk more about another experimental hop, HBC 1019. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to encourage everyone to go visit yakimavalleyhops.com. There you can learn more about these two hops, 1134 and 1019, and everything else that the company has to offer. And as always, thanks to Yakima Valley Hops for supporting All About Beer. If you plan to be in Colorado in a few weeks for the Great American Beer Festival, you need to check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It happens on Friday, September 22nd and brings together 64 of America's best craft breweries, all for a great cause, the Pints for Prostates campaign. The beer list is incredible packed with rare, exotic, and vintage beers you won't find anywhere else. These are legendary beers the breweries hold back just for the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. This is a bucket list event for both beer fans and for brewers. You can get a look at the beer list and find more information at pintsforprostates.org. All-inclusive tickets are just $200 and include unlimited beer samples, a great buffet lunch, t-shirt, tasting glass, and program. Money raised goes to the fight against prostate cancer, including a free health screening before the event. It's a simple blood test that checks for common health issues that might just save your life. 
That's the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, drinking beer and saving lives. We'll see you there on September 22nd. A reminder, please go visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. Please go visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. You can help keep the content fresh, and a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of the All About Beer podcasts or allaboutbeer.com, please go visit info at allaboutbeer.com. It's amazing how much has changed in the beer industry in 10 years. We've seen the rise of the hazy IPA, while the number of operating breweries has exploded. Trends have come and gone, and mergers and closures stop the landscape. Perspective helps us appreciate where we are and where we can go by examining where we've been. Today, three state brewers guild directors, Rob Fulmer of Arizona, Mary McDonald of Ohio, and Paul Leone of New York, are all here for a chat about what's happening in their states and what it means for beer in general. All three are celebrating a decade on the job. And with that time comes, yes, perspective. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the three of you. Thanks for being here. And admittedly, in leading up to this conversation, I've had Nat King Cole playing in the back of my mind. Um, don't get around much anymore. And I, I be, since COVID, I, I just haven't been out and about in the way that I would like to, or I would have been in the past. Um, uh, Paul, I had to miss your convention and your your um, uh, your gathering earlier this year because I had something that was COVID adjacent, uh, but there was not actually COVID. Uh, Rob, I haven't been to your state since uh, before COVID, January of 2020. Um, and Mary, I don't know the last time I was in Ohio. So um, I, just before we get into the larger conversation, I wonder if each of you can kind of give me a little bit of the grounds eye view of what's happening beer wise in your particular state and, and, and Mary, I'll start with you. Sure. I started September 3rd, 2013. It was the day after Labor Day. So I remember distinctly uh, at the time there were 58 breweries in Ohio. Um, they had just created an A1C license, which, which before that it was just an A license, all brewers used it. Um, and they specifically designated the A1C um, they dropped the price on it to a thousand bucks from 4,000. They could have a tap room with it and they could self-distribute up to a million barrels of beer. And so while the craft brewing industry was just starting to, to grow, that really put us like in a really good place in Ohio, because the best way to grow your business is to sell your beer by the pint over your bar. And you could do that now in Ohio and you can self-distribute and get to know a cows. So as of today, there are 433 craft breweries in Ohio. So wow. that's an astronomical jump from yeah. the 58 that were there when I started. And I was like, you're doing a great job. Like that has nothing to do with me. That's all the chutzpah <laughs> of the Ohio craft brewers, but I'm pleased to help them uh, grow along the way. Um, we usually have about 50 to 70 breweries in planning. That's still kind of the case. Um, we do an economic impact study every two years. And so we happened to do in 2020. And so we got to see the direct impact of the pandemic on the breweries. 
because previously we had had $967 million in economic impact and the um, pandemic dropped that down to 880 million. But as of 2022, we're back up to $1.27 billion in economic impact. Wow. Yeah. So that's exciting. We See, I need to get to Ohio. Okay. Right. So uh, John, uh, January 16th through 18th, the Glass City Center in Toledo, because who doesn't want to go to Northwest Ohio in January? But standing advice. Is that, that's the, uh, that's our next conference. That's the next conference. Yeah. I'll give you a speaking spot. It'll be lots of fun. It'll just be cool. Sure. Um, (laughs) I mean, January in Phoenix sounds a little bit nicer. Um, Perhaps uh, Rob, what's going on with, with your state these days? Oh, well, I, I didn't know if we were doing a top to bottom. And also, I'm a little disappointed that um, unforgettable wasn't what you thought of when it comes to having a call with the three of us. So, In every way. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I'll, I'll just I'll just kind of uh, follow a little bit of Mary's structure. I started in November of 2013. And at the time, they told me I was the 13th full-time director. So a lot of these organizations across the United States were run by a board and uh, part-time uh, involvement. Um, it, you could sort of tell by the unevenness of, of our efforts at the legislature. Um, we started out with probably 30, but nominally 15 or 20 breweries that were really super active when I started. And um, I think we're at uh, 140 locations. Um, it, it, it's the case. It's, every state likes to say they're different. I, I think we are definitely different because we span um, you know, from 8,000 feet all the way down to, 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 you know, ground zero and, you know, the temperature swings, um, are, are, it's going to be 118 today. Um, but in Northern Arizona, it's going to be closer to 85. So we have four seasons and, um, I think, uh, we have basically the size, a city, the size of Los Angeles and square miles, Philadelphia and population, and then a whole, uh, host of, Hounds that are too tiny to uh, support a single brewery, um, so it's it's very feast or famine, um, boomtown kind of thing here in Arizona. Um, but you know, I was tasked immediately with uh, getting our breweries to be able to grow beyond forty thousand barrels, and uh, I think our laws were such that uh, they opened up a lot of different models, and um, the most successful model wasn't necessarily packaging. So Arizona's always had a, a uh, an embarrassment of riches in terms of getting other products from other places. So on the, on the downside, I think that kind of shut us out of the package market early. Hmm. Uh, but on the good side is I think it really upped everyone's game. I mean, you can't, you can't pretend to uh, put out beers if you have to compete against, you know, San Diego and Colorado and in Oregon right now. So, uh, but, you know, um, we've slowly chipped away at small things. And we've worked cooperatively with a lot of people who could sometimes be our enemies. And I think we have sort of the best laws in the, in the country right now for, for a brewery. There's, there's no restrictions on, on a lot of what you can do. So, uh, um, you know, uh, I, I think, um, I think business doing business here in Arizona as a brewery is, is going to be great. Uh, despite the flatness that we're seeing nationally. Paul, what's going on in New York? Ooh, um, a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was hired in June of 2013. Um, after 10 years of a, of a board run association, they 
Uh, by the time they they needed uh, an executive director, franchise law was done, um, farm brewing license was created. Like they had done a lot legislatively, so my lift wasn't as heavy coming into this job. But I had nine interviews um, in order to have it. They wanted to make sure they had the right person, and uh, it, we had 135 breweries in New York State in 2013, and I knew everyone. Um, and it was awesome. And now there are 538 breweries in New York State, and there are a lot of people to know. So the job has grown, uh, the state has grown, and it's been a heck of a ride, heck of a 10 years. And and I don't, you know, maybe we'll get into it later, but I don't think I would be here today without the other two folks that are that are on uh this right now. I mean, it's it's been um it's been a ride. For sure, but but New York State has been uh, growing uh, tremendously, um, and and facing the same issues every other state is, just just in a larger scale. So, what are the issues that you feel you're facing right now, Paul? And then I'll throw that same you know question to Mary because it sounds like there's been a lot of momentum in all of your states, and I think in most states around the country, Jersey being the exception right now. Um, where there is you know good momentum there's there, there's growth um by and large it seems um towns and and state governments want to work with breweries so what are what are the challenges as we are here at the halfway point of of 2023 that are on your desk right now on your horizon paul i think a lot of breweries are are seeing you know sales being flat you know in the post-covid world access to market um you know, really just trying to, you know, a- after that tremendous wave of growth and, and Bart Watson has talked a lot about this, you know, which is really unsustainable, you know, we're, we're now kind of, um, you know, we're not seeing as much growth anymore. And, and you know, with RTDs and, and other options and changing drinking habits and all of those things, you find a lot of breweries trying to figure out who they are and, 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 and what, uh, who they need to be and what they need to do and how they need to adjust to an ever-changing world uh, in the alcohol world. And, and so, you know, a lot of breweries are, are expanding in New York State, opening other um, locations, and, and others are, are, you know, wanting to close and wanting to sell. And um, it just seems like more of a, you know, it, it, it's a regular, it's a business now, right? It, it's, it's, it's not the shiny new toy anymore. And uh, I feel like, um, it, you know, in, in the craft beer world, it's not enough anymore for people uh, to be a brewery just to serve your beer and, and have a bag of chips um, anymore. I think, you know, people want more options when they walk into a brewery, they want more uh, of an experiential um, a visit when they, when they go to a brewery. So that's kind of what we're seeing here in, in New York right now um, and trying to help breweries, you know, through that. Mary, what about for you right now? Yeah, I, I think everything Paul said is true. Um, we are, we, so we already have self-distribution Ohio. We have direct consumer shipping in Ohio. Um, so what we're focusing on right now is franchise law. Um, and in Ohio, at least it was passed in 1974 when there were close to 200 wholesalers in Ohio and 116 breweries in the entire United States. Um, and when we, we did attempt to have talks with our wholesalers to pass some franchise law reform and get an exemption for smaller craft brewers. Um, but after about 18 months, those talks just stalled because we were at complete opposite ends of the spectrum on what we thought was reasonable in terms of accommodating smaller breweries. So um, right now we're, we're about to drop legislation next week 
hopefully that would exempt brewers under 250,000 barrels from franchise law. Basically, if you brew fewer than 250,000 barrels, franchise law no longer applies to you. You can negotiate your own contract with the wholesaler under regular business contract law. Um, I would say back to what uh, business, we see more breweries opening tap rooms, additional tap rooms um, to pursue growth. And you can still do that pretty freely in Ohio. So that's that's where we're at, John. Okay. <laughs> Rob, what about you? What's What's on your desk that needs addressing right now yeah i mean i I think because our our laws are different and our our evolution and our brewery growth has has been on different timelines even though that we we see the we see consumers making different choices um i think obviously um craft beer has ushered in the the sort of the flavor profile and now it's more easily replicated by rtds and and um Giant corporations have the ability to, to to put out similar tasting products at a much reduced rate and using that marketing uh, against us. I, I think, um, um, you know, for us, I think it, it the the days of opening a tap room and you know people coming in just for that new experience are 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 gone in a lot of cases. I think there's still some underserved areas where you can sort of carve out a niche in our state, but I think it's time for us to get back to hospitality. Um, I think it's time for us to, as, as Paul and I uh, mentioned, um, providing full service, uh, understanding your customers. And, you know, I, I think in our state, because of the pandemic and because of the shift towards, hey, anyone anyone can and should be packaging beer right now, I think, I think we got to get back to reality on that. Um, I think that will put a lot of businesses under because I think the consumers want that, but because they want that doesn't mean you have to provide it everywhere in the state. Um, I think our strongest point is bringing people back to our tap rooms, being part of our, we're a tourism state, um, embracing that um, and understanding that regular customers are great, but if you can tap into um, uh, people traveling, you know, to, to Arizona as a destination, you can really uh, sell a lot of beer and, and uh, you know, put Arizona on, on a, on a different level when it comes to that kind of thing. I think we do everything that all the great States do. It's just, we're a little bit more spread out. So um, we should embrace all the parts of our state and um, sort of fold into that legend of Arizona, that, that mystique. Um, But uh, you know, I think our members, uh, our breweries, uh, we need to, Uh, I think the time of bootstrapping all of your uh, business functions is over. Uh, I mean, stop watching YouTube videos, start hiring people, making the investments in people. Um, But that's a tough thing as a director to to say that everyone's going to do it just because it makes sense to a few of us. Right. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the sort of struggle that we all have is um, we see, we we've been talking about this flatness for, you know, I, I went and visited, uh, I went to Mary's conference and Paul was there. I mean, that was one of Bart's talks. When was that Mary? Ohio in January. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, but we, we've seen, we saw that anecdotally, you know, months before. And, and, um, so the, the fact that this, uh, slate story is coming out now, I think, right. It, it's kind of funny to us. Okay. I don't know the slate story. I haven't seen it's it. It's just that the beer industry is flat. Okay. 
So this Paul started and then Rob, you've sort of continued on with it. And, and I'm, I'm often curious about this, right? Because when you take the industry as a whole, um, I understand why those larger numbers are important, but the thing that I have thoroughly enjoyed in the last 10 or so years is how many breweries there are and the chance to visit different breweries, um, either when traveling or when I'm closer to home. And I'm not thinking about the larger industry when I walk into a small brewery. You know, I'm not really thinking about what Bud Light is doing. I'm not thinking about, you know, how Firestone Walker is cranking out 805 or anything else like that. I'm just, I'm looking for that entrepreneurial, that brewer spirit, that sort of excitement that I think existed 10 years ago when everybody knew each other. And I I wonder how important individual brewery growth is versus what it means for the fuller industry. And I, I don't know if I'm articulating this the right way, but it's are are small brewers caring too much about what's happening outside of their walls and not focusing enough on what's happening inside of them? I don't think sort of so. Rob's point on hospitality. Okay. To. Yeah. I mean, they're they're gonna be conscious of the fact that. Uh, ingredient prices keep rising, right? Because we're used to a six to eight dollar, you know, pints, and th- those keep prices keep creeping up. My experience is people who enter the craft brewing industry still have so much passion and enthusiasm and are excited to be here, and the people who have been in the industry are buoyed by that enthusiasm and and want to help. And I think that's part of the reason the guilds exist and continue to thrive is, is we create that, that platform, the meetings, um, the, the conferences, the opportunities for them to interact and engage with one another and, and remind ourselves of, of what makes this industry great, which is the collaboration um, and the inner, you know, interwovenness of the, of the breweries and to hopefully sustain that, right? We, when we had 58 breweries, I too knew every brewery in the state. Um, I usually at least try to know the names of the people who are opening the breweries and then, you know, go out and try to meet them when possible. It's so much harder in a state, any of our size, when there's now, you know, 400 and some of them to to try to interact with. Yeah. And I, I would just say, I'm, I'm glad you're not thinking about that when you walk in those places, because that's what they're supposed to be good at. And that's that's what they should be focusing on. Um, but you know, if you look at a state like in Arizona, we're not going to be an industry volume leader. Um, we're not adjacent to manufacturing. You know, we 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 do have a role in supplying part of California. Um, some people have found like White Claw um, a competitive advantage for locating here. Um, so we really have to embrace again what what our state can be good at, and um, that should be hospitality. That should be creating those experiences. Um, but you know, I, I think it's a mix. Some people um, in our industry in Arizona are follow the trades and follow the to get an understanding of what's going on. Um, and a lot of that stuff doesn't materialize at the local tap room level, but some of it does. So I, I think it's our job to keep everybody informed and not cry wolf too much, um, but really underscore what the opportunities are as as we see them because we we see uh, we have the uh, we have insight into the national picture. We have examples in every state of similarities between our, our businesses. And, um, and we, you know, I have a deputy director. We, we put a lot of miles talking to people face to face because no one reads email anymore. 
So uh, we're trying to build that vibe that way. There's a guild hashtag for that too. (laughs) Right, Paul? (laughs) Yes, there is. Um, There is actually. Uh, So I I will, I'll add this and maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the minority, John, and uh, in this thought, but I think the rash of shitty clickbait articles, uh, doomsday articles that come out don't help um, lately. You know, there are a lot of reputable beer writers out there and, and there are, um, you know, and some of these articles do have merit, you know, I mean, there's some truth in them, but they're, they're thrown out into the ether as if, if this is the, you know, this is the blanketed opinion and this is the way that it is. And, and it, and it really paints a dark, dark picture of the industry right now. And, and I think it's unfair and I, and I don't think it's true. Um, you know, sure, sure there's issues in the industry and, and it's not what it once was, but when, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just think a lot of brewers read these things, and and you read response on social media. It's like, you know, the brewing industry is dying. You know, every everything is bad. Beer festivals, the latest one. Beer festivals are the doomsday of the beer festivals. Sure, I saw that one in Axios. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, as a group, um, had a whole sidebar conversation on our our private Facebook group about this, and just kind of polling each other of, okay, well, well is are, are yours dying? Are yours dying? And it's true. I canceled an event this year. I, I postponed, the, I, I canceled it uh, because we just kind of weren't ready for a variety of reasons. But, you know, we've got our, we've got beer festivals that sell out every year. I've got two that are growing every year. So it, it was this blanketed. And I don't know how many notices that I got even affected my board at one point going, yeah, geez, maybe we shouldn't do beer festivals anymore. And, and so there's certainly a debate to be had with that article for sure. Um, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, the, the feeling that I got and the messaging that I was getting was, oh, we've got to stop doing beer festivals because they're all dying. And that just pisses me off, you know, and, and, and it really affects the attitude of, 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 of people that are reading it. And I'm just tired of this doomsday thing. This, you know, the brewing industry is not dying and, and the bubble is not bursting, right? It's, it's just, it's a business now and, and the growth isn't there anymore, but it doesn't mean that it's dying. And maybe I'm in the minority of uh, uh, feeling that way. I, I'm just can gauge from my state, but, but talking to Rob and Mary and a whole bunch of other folks around the country, you know, I, I don't, I don't know of, of everybody saying, well, geez, we're closing at an epic rate now, you know, or, or we're going down the twos. Now with that, I will say just like the brewing industry, the, the guilds, um, you know, it was that the BA had a, a hope of having, you know, 51 guild directors around the country, right. Including DC. Um, and, and, and there are guilds that are collapsing, now, right? So it's not all rosy. You know, I, I can admit that, right? There, there are not 51 guild directors out there. There, there are some um, that are like, there are states that don't have any directors at all. So, yeah. so it's, so it is a little scary out there, but I just hate these, these dumbass like clickbait articles lately um, <laughs> yeah. trying to, to show like the industry is dying. Get out. Yeah, you're, and you're, that affects the people. You're going to get it. no, you're going to, I will defend journalism all day long. You're going to get zero pushback from me on what you just said, because getting- that stuff that's coming out is, is yeah. By and large, not rooted in reality. Two years into my tenure, we hit 100 breweries in Ohio, and I got the question about, oh, my God, is the, you know, are we at the top of the bubble? And then we hit, you know, two years later, we hit 200 breweries, and I got the same question. Mm -hmm. And I think my exasperation with uh, journalists at that point, they got not to ask the question again now that we're at four, you know, they didn't ask me 300. They didn't ask me at 400. I believe there's potential for Ohio to hit 500 breweries. We've got breweries, and I think 77 out of our 88 
counties, but there's so many small towns in Ohio that don't have breweries and they, they help revitalize buildings. They help bring traffic back to, you know, downtowns. I, I think there's still room for growth to Paul's point. It's, we're, we're a business now. And yeah. to Rob's point, now you got to, you know, you have to run a business. It's not just the thought of making beer. Um, you, you need an accountant. You might need a lawyer. There's all these, you know, you might need an HR person depending on your size. It's time to treat this like a, like a full business that you intend to hopefully uh, have your kids inherit someday. To that. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. As it, as it pertains to festivals and actually the, the guilds, um, I think they're kind of related. It, there's, there's a scale and intentionality of focus that we all have to go through. And, and, you know, when you came to our strong beer festival, it, it was February by the way, but January, February, sorry, my apologies. No, no worries. Um, you know, um, I, I think I told you like, you know, four years ago it was approaching 10,000, but we're kind of settling in at six to 7,000. And we've held there, but we've known that that was happening and we've seen the trends and we um, we made revenue other ways. We actually increased revenue. And um, honestly, uh, you know, if you can't scale up to the next, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use a brewery example. If you can't scale up to the next tank, you know, you you, you don't make more beer. You, you just, you know, deal with the equipment you have until you can afford to take that next big step in production. So, you know, a lot of our festivals, probably could have been downsized a little bit to, to retain the experience and, and, and um, you know, go back to, you know, just taking care of the people that, that show up. We, we, we started a new festival in um, Flagstaff and we were running into some um, issues with permitting. And I just, I literally just said, listen, we're doing, if we, if it's a permitting issue, we're doing this festival for free because we need to establish a festival in Northern Arizona. And so, you know, obviously revenue is, is a component, but another component to doing a festival in another part of the state is to build relationships with businesses and, and your members in another part uh, of the state and, and, and have a different type of relationship. So that's the intentionality, you know, the focus uh, as it pertains to uh, guilds is like, maybe there are some, I think hundred is right. where. You know, I feel comfortable having two people, uh, 100 breweries, 140 locations. But, um, you know, uh, maybe when I step down and and my uh, direct deputy director kicks over, maybe he'll decide that he can do it himself and he's got a different strategy. And maybe he can make a little bit more money than both of us combined um, in terms of personal salary. I don't know. But um, 100 seems to be about the, uh, the spot where you can, you can really keep a single position. Um, but I think 250 is a good sweet spot. And, and I'm painting with a big brush here because you can have a, a bunch of tiny breweries and they don't really make a lot to your bottom line. But um, so I think that, you know, like it's, it's possible that some States would based on the realities of today, can't have a, a full-time director like the BA envision. And so they, there has to be a strategy to maybe, um, combined resources or something like that. But, you know, we, 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 we managed, uh, during the growth and now we have to manage during, um, maybe more flat periods or de- declines. Um, you know, I talked to people who, you know, they're, they're, you can tell that they're looking to see what their options are. And like, sometimes the best advice I could give them is like, um, you know, maybe this isn't what you envisioned it was. And maybe it's time that, you start 
making a strategy to get out, either sell or, or partner with somebody or uh, expand. I, I don't know about you guys. I can't tell you how many times people like they look like they're going to expand and all of a sudden they just get out. So I think there's a lot of people in that position and that's not bad if everyone can exit the industry the way they want, what they want, the way they want to on their own terms. I, I think um, I'm not seeing, like I, Paul said, I'm not seeing wholesale um, get out of the industry things uh, going on right now. No. I, I, and to, to, to that point, and I want to come back to festivals in a second though, is, and, and I agree, I've used the term bubble in the past and, and it, it, I was using it without fully being cognizant of it. And I haven't for years, I hope, but um the closures that we're seeing now, as best I can tell by and large, when I have conversations afterwards, are breweries that were not putting the effort in in a fully meaningful way. And sometimes it was, you know, they just didn't know how to run a business or uh, other times it was just poor quality beer. And when you have 10,000 breweries in the country and you're asking a premium for the product, you can go across the street for a better pint and the place that's making the lesser pint is just going to suffer. It's the same thing with a pizza place or a burger place or, or anything else like that, 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 that business in the whole thing. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're all seeing that as well of some of the closures that have happened, not a bubble, but just, you know, some folks who maybe were not fully prepared to be in a competitive industry. Is, is, I, is that fair? Yeah, I, I think it's fair. I mean, I, I, you know, we, I do these regional meetings around the state every fall. And I remember being in Long Island and, you know, Long Island brewers have no problem telling you what's on their mind ever. And, <laughs> and so like, I, I, I think I was talking, we're talking about all these slate of regulations and the new things and all these things they had to follow. And, and I just, re, the, and I heard one of the brewers in the back go, God damn it. I just want to make beer. And, and it sort of summed it up in a way, like, right. It, it's, it's a business. It, it is yeah. a business and passion will only take you so far and, you know, and you have to run it. And I think there are some folks that got into this for, for all the right reasons. And, you know, uh, maybe they it, it's just got to the point where some of them are like, they're just tired, right. And they're just tired. It's not what I thought it would be. Um, and I don't want to do this anymore. And to me, that's, it, 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 that's natural. I would think in any business, right. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I just think that the, the people that we're seeing getting out just, you know, are, are just maybe their heart's not in it anymore. Uh, the business is hard. They're not making the revenue. Um, that's kind of what we're seeing for the most part. Yeah, I'm looking at my list. We've had six breweries close this year. Um, one of them sold to someone else. Um, one of them, wait, uh, basically similar. I, I think actually two of them sold to someone else. Um, one of them moved and changed locations and grew, but they still closed the old brewery. So I, I think we're still on a on a good pace for openings versus closings. But yes, um, I think if you start to lack the passion and you have the opportunity to sell, that that's a great that's that's definitely something our brewers are taking advantage of right now. I wonder though. I, I'm thinking back like ten years ago to um, something like the craft brewers conference, uh, the, the, the national one that, that would be put on and you would hear 
these, you know, we're going to take on the big guys. Uh, there's all this talk about legacy planning, you know, p- places that have been open three to five years, uh, 10 years already talking about, um, you know, their, their infant children that they're pushing around the expo floor and strollers being like, one day, this is all going to be hers and that kind of thing. Um, and there is this sort of electricity around building legacy businesses. And I, I don't hear that conversation in 2023, like I did in 2013. And, and, and I wonder for the next, I I think there's mistakes that were made at the time. Um, Certainly some of the things I remember at one of those conferences, and I've told this story before um, Paul Gatza, the the president or the director of the, the, the BA um, standing in front of the room and saying, if, if beer quality is not the first thing on your mind, when it comes to your business, get out of this room right now. And folks laughed. They thought it was a joke. Um, and I was stunned by that. Um, and I remember Garrett Oliver saying something similar at the Florida Brewers Guild a couple of years ago and also being laughed at. And I, 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 I think that, you know, it might've saved some closures if people were thinking about quality, I guess is the, the point that I'm trying to make, but the messages of 10 years ago of you're going to be in this forever. You're going to pass this on. We're going to take on the big players. Um, a lot of that isn't, isn't bearing out these days. What's the messaging now in 2023 to the members for the future or even just the present? Is it treat it like a business? Is, is, is there something deeper to it? It's sort of a jump ball. I don't recall my people ever being like, we're going to take on, on the big guys. Right. And well, that was always big- more of the, the national BA, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have brewers who are like, we're fighting franchise law because as one of my brewers, like, I don't want my kid to take over my business in 10 to 15 years and then be like, dad, why didn't you fix this? You knew it was a mess. Right. So, so, you know, you take care of it and then, and then leave it the in a better, in a better place to your kids. Um, I think, I think. So legacy the, planning is still being discussed. I like legacy. So. Okay. If you're, if you're a big enough brewery, certainly if you're right. I mean, is, is the person who's got a little tap room in a small town thinking about what they're going to do when they're ready to retire in what is that 10, 20, depending on the age you got into this business years. I, I don't know that that's the case, but if you're someone of a, of a larger brewery size, I think that has to be a consideration. I think we're, our, our, you know, somebody talked about hospitality, providing a good experience. Those yeah. are definitely the messages again, because there is more competition now, right? We went from 55 breweries, 58 breweries to 430. A lot of them in the same cities and, and neighborhoods, you have to be conscious of your competition, which is anybody who sells alcohol. And so I think having that experiential uh, opportunity and, and making sure that you have outstanding customer service and outstanding quality beer, right? You just can't get by with, with bad beer anymore because consumers are educated and, and they know what beer should taste like. The, the fact that there's a conversation like this across the country about businesses is something that we just have to step outside of ourselves and understand that's fairly unique. I, you know, I, I, out here in the West, um, in the 1950s and 60s, Chinese immigrants opened up Americanized Chinese places all across the West, Los Angeles. And their whole, the whole point of it what was to not turn this over to their kids. <laughs> it was to make money and and um, send their kids off to be doctors and lawyers. Um, and I think what 
what sometimes I see in this industry is when, when things get tough, people put their heads down and they, and they, they don't remember what this industry can provide. And that's the ability to call your, your competitor up and, and commiserate and strategize and share information. You know, it, it, it's the anti, you know, 99% asshole free thing. That, that's yeah. not what it was about. It was about that conversation being able to, I mean, they don't, they don't have, they don't have a, a national dry cleaners festival. They don't sit in a room and talk about. They dry might cleaning. come on. I, I'd love to go to that festival with uh, that conference with you, John. Um, but, but it's, it's really about the collaborative um, um, nature of this industry. Like the other trade organizations don't hire, uh, they don't bring anybody in except the owners. Uh, uh, the distributors don't bring in warehouse guys together to talk about different warehouse techniques. Um, that's what we're good at. That's the culture that we built and the culture drove most of the marketing during that time. I, I'm, I'm, I wish I could get into like the Doug Velicky investment curve. If you're in for, if, with that, I mean, From we, all got in this, yeah. we all got in this on the upswing and we all got in this, you know, when we, the, the 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 stories you told we were we were like okay there's a future here the, the future is infinite um you know then we sort of had all kinds of uh dilution and 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 we got into covid and now we're kind of on the downswing uh business wise and and a lot of people emotionally resource wise but somebody who's not us is going to see what the opportunity is and say i'm going to invest in this because i'm coming in at this level and i have no idea what you guys are talking about the good old days, but this is what I see. And we just have to figure out how that fits into, you know, our plans to, to keep our organizations moving forward, you know, in the next decade. Nobody had worldwide pandemic on their bingo card when I started this job. <laughs> sure. No, of course. <laughs> 9.75 years ago, right? And I'm so impressed with how resilient our businesses were and how creative they were um, in coming up with ways to support their employees and make it through the pandemic. And honestly, I, we saw a lot fewer closures than I expected post-pandemic. And I think we'll still be coming off the tail of that for the next year or two. But I, our, we were incredibly resilient during the pandemic. And a lot of that is the community, right? Our breweries are so much a part of their communities that that their community wanted to support them and keep them so that they could go back to them when we pulled ourselves out of the pandemic. Are we really keep, quick? Oh, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go no, ahead, no, John. Paul. No, no, no. My, mine is not as interesting as yours, please. Are you sure? Oh, no. Because yeah. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. We, you know, the message to our breweries, um, you know, quality shouldn't even be brought up anymore. They should know better at this point. But even though, you know, you can't make bad beer and expect to survive, um, but it is it is adapt. Um, you need to adapt it in this beverage alcohol world um, because it's ever evolving. You know, now now we're going to be competing with uh, hard Mountain Dew and all of that other stuff, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I walk it's made by Boston beer. But yes, 
<laughs> yes, but you know, but it, but it's a, but it's a comp- it's a competitor, right? There's sure. one more option yeah. for the consumer out there, and and so you know, I mean, little things like believe it or not, like in New York, I've talked to breweries, um, and and those that have the slushy machines. Um, and then might use like farm, um, you know, New York state farm distillers and make these fruity cocktails, make a gazillion dollars on selling those slushies. Right. Yep. And I, I try to say, you know, look at, you know, you, you do you with your beer and all of that. But if you're looking for a few extra dollars of revenue, maybe you ought to throw in one of those slushy machines, you know, um, uh, maybe you ought to have some NA options from that, that are available out there. You know, I mean, it's like, it's a think of more beverage alcohol than, than, just beer. You know, again, it's their business. They can do what they want, but if they're, they're not making their payments or they're having struggle, they're struggling, you know, making revenue, then maybe you need to adapt to the, to the new culture. We still don't know what the 21 year olds, you know, you know, there, nobody's coming in kind of like when, when we were younger, when I was younger, you know, that beer was it, man, we loved beer. Um, I think beer is something that people they kind of ease into, uh, but we don't know what, what the new generation is going to drink when they have access, you know, the first things they're drinking is hard Mountain Dew. Hard Mountain Dew. And others, right. You know, and so you got to compete with that and you got to think about that in, in your business. One of the OG uh, Ohio breweries put in a slushy machine and I happened to be sitting at the bar at the tap room that day, uh, like faux instructing them on which which was the best placement. And I think I think Paul's right. You need to be able to adapt. And if, if our oldest breweries are like, OK, we recognize that there's only so many beer customers out here, but I'm going to come in with a party of 10. Some of those people aren't going to drink beer at all. How can we best serve them? in yeah. our atmosphere? Which was not a conversation that was happening 10 years ago. no. It, it's really understanding who your customers are and, and, you know, filling your tap rooms and, and again, hospitality. Uh, Rob, I'm going to point out that the national cleaners association is a professional trade association <laughs> dedicated to the welfare of well-groomed consumers and professional cleaners and the suppliers who serve them That's over 75 years old. And they've been at the vanguard of education, research, and information distribution concerning garment and household fabric care. Outstanding journalism, John Hall. But aren't old, old dry cleaners also right. usually like brownfield sites too, like the chemical? <laughs> or <laughs> or like well on their way to become brownfield sites. Yeah. Um, they have virtual events, it looks like. Oh, I know what my slide hustle is going to be now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> There's an association. By the way, during, during the pandemic, I, 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 had, I had all my stuff dry cleaned because I was like, these guys need to stay in business. I... And I, you know, like I have business stuff that I don't get to wear very often. So I went through all of it, got it, got it dry cleaned. It, it is a virtual trade show, apparently. Um, mm. November 4th and 5th uh, this year, their virtual text care uh, trade show. I don't know how not, you, I don't know how not you nearly as exciting as our trade shows, which involve beer. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. That is true. I, I feel like if they did this thing in person, it would just be, uh, you know, free huffs of the, the cleaning solution, which is, mm-hmm. which, which, which is fine. Drink more than us. Just nude people in plastic bags, <laughs> you know, just. All right. Well, now it's getting weird. Um, <laughs> Leave it to Rob to make I, it weird. More in a moment. But first, a note from this episode's sponsors. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. 
With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. If you plan to be in Colorado in a few weeks for the Great American Beer Festival, you need to check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It happens on Friday, September 22nd and brings together 64 of America's best craft breweries, all for a great cause, the Pints for Prostates campaign. The beer list is incredible, packed with rare, exotic, and vintage beers you won't find anywhere else. These are legendary beers the breweries hold back just for the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. This is a bucket list event for both beer fans and for brewers. You can get a look at the beer list and find more information at pintsforprostates.org. All-inclusive tickets are just $200 and include unlimited beer samples, a great buffet lunch, t-shirt, tasting glass, and program. Money raised goes to the fight against prostate cancer, including a free health screening before the event. It's a simple blood test that checks for common health issues that might just save your life. That's the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, drinking beer and saving lives. We'll see you there on September 22nd. And now back to the conversation. I keep coming back to where we were 10 years ago and we, we've brought up the pandemic. Now we, 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 we've talked about when times get, get tougher, Rob, you said sort of putting the head down. And one of the things that I've been really buoyed by, by the, the, the local conferences that I've gone to, uh, or the state state conferences that I've gone to in, in, in the last you know two years or so, um, or reading over the agenda is the focus on mental health. Mm which 10 years ago, you know, it was you know, walk it off or, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, get used to it, that, that kind of thing. And um, I know it's being addressed more and more uh, mental health and then um, social issues and uh, diversity and inclusion issues. Um, the guilds, I feel have really been leading that charge because you're you have closer access to your members and um i know all of your states have been have, have, have really been working hard at this um i wonder I, those are three very different things of mental health and um uh, diversity and inclusion and and and, and social issues and all that but um i wonder and this is sort of again a jump ball for anybody who wants to jump in of what that evolution has been like and if there has been any sort of tangible impact that you all have been able to, to see. Hmm. That's a, that, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very big question, yes. um, you know, and, and I, I will say this, you know, on top of, so you talked about mental health and, and DEI and all of those things that that's, that is, um, you know, uh, an issue in every industry, add alcohol, to it right. right with ours you know right. that 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 you know that's a whole other level of things right so that's something that i think that you know we as an industry talk about um you know uh when we're out you know usually people that are, are struggling tend to drink more um and and you know think that that's the the pathway out so so we do have those those conversations for sure uh, amongst the brewers in the state, I know they talk about it. Um, we have them, you know, uh, we have, um, you know, seminars about it at, at our conference. Um, but I think from a mental health standpoint in this industry is uh, the, the biggest problem with this industry. And I'll say this for us too, um, even the guild 
directors is that, you know, you really can never stop working. Um, it's, I feel like it's a seven day a week job, you know, and, and, um, you know, even for us guild directors, um, but especially breweries, right. You know, they're always working, they're always struggling, they're always hustling they're, and they're doing, they're doing everything that they can. And then they add alcohol on top of that. So it's an extra struggle. Um, I think a lot for mental health issues. And, and that's why I think you might see some people tapping out. They're like, you know, I just can't do this to myself anymore. And I've seen that happen too. And, and it's, you know, applause you know, good for you. Oh yeah. Because you know, that if that's what you need to do, uh, we had, uh, an employee, uh, who worked with us for, for five years and, and she called me one day and said, I can't do this anymore. Um, it's just too hard. And, and I, I totally understood. I said, you're right. Then you shouldn't do it anymore. Um, and, and so I, I know that's pretty common in, in a lot of spaces and, and I've, I've seen a lot of great seminars about it and I'm glad it's a conversation that's happening and that it needs to happen from a mental health standpoint, especially being, uh, adding alcohol on yeah. top of it. Right. It's kind of like a double whammy. I'll just add on the top of this, a different layer of this is um, um, it it brings up what a guild is responsible for and what a guild um, can can accomplish uh, in in some of these areas, because there's always going to be somebody who says, hey, I I just want you to represent me at the legislature, or I, I would just like you to market us more. And, you know, getting to know these people and understanding what we see as, as problems. And, you know, it is the things that you mentioned. Um, we we're, we're human beings and we want to help people to the best we can. And, um, you know, sometimes that means putting out statements as, Hey, this is what our industry should do. These are the programs that we're going to recommend. These are the, these are the platforms that we're going to put out to the public. Um, but it, it, it puts everyone in a position where, well, if someone challenges you on that, um, I'll use the, you know, I'll use like uh, harassment as sexual harassment is one of the issues. Like uh, you, you say that this is what your businesses should be doing. This, you, you say, these are the programs that I, I, I heard about this brewery and they did this. Are you going to kick them out? And, you know, it, I think we're all past that controversy that, that, cause I think our first incl- inclination as an industry is to say, how can we, how can we provide resources to that business to fix that? Like we yeah. can't fix the individual problem that happened in the past, but how can we, how can we convince them that they need to figure this out? Both, both legally, uh, structurally, uh, maybe some people need to, maybe some people in that company need to be taken out of the public eye or just taken out period. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. But those things are, are tough. We, we, we we appeal to the public. We we appeal to the public, and then you know, ultimately on all these issues, we will let individuals of the public down because we didn't do enough, and that's kind of where, you know, I think we grind our teeth at night, you know, because we want to do, we want the best for everybody in this industry, both consumers and and people who work for these breweries, but it's an impossible task, and I think after like two years after the pandemic. And during the pandemic, I'm I'm resigned to I, I I'm I'm comfortable in what I think we can accomplish. Um, that may not suit everybody's needs, but we will always have those messages out there. We will always provide resources to be better. Um, but I'm not going to feel I'm not going to be put in the position where a brewery did something bad or somebody at a brewery did something bad. So therefore, we're 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 not doing our job. Well, there's only so much that guilds or associations 
can do, um, whether it comes to bylaws or boards or um, whatever. And I and I, I I imagine that there is frustration on behalf of folks, you know, who want organizations to do more, um, but don't always know the full scope of responsibilities or ramifications that a guild or an association can can actually levy right our teeth our teeth are like well we can make you not be part of the guild if you've done something so offensive if you've broken our code of conduct and we've investigated and and gone through that and you agree or you disagree but we've determined that you've broken the code of conduct egregiously enough the worst thing we can do is is not is revoke your membership to the guild and at the end of the day, does that have a lot of teeth? Because we're not going to go out and publicly declare that we revoke, revoke their membership to the guild. Sure. But it's it's what we can do, right? And is it our responsibility to do that? My organization has decided that it is. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it doesn't fix the problem. So to Rob's point, we try to provide as many resources as possible. And again, all of us started 10 years ago when there was a fraction of the number of breweries that exist today. Yeah. And so as those breweries have grown and and face their growing pains. The guilds are growing and facing their growing pains. And I think every guild leader is acutely aware of the issue of burnout and mental health because we, most of us started as as a single employee and then grew to hopefully add one or two or more employees. But even so, Rob has two. I just now have three. Paul, what are you at? Four? We have four. That's still an incredibly small staff who's responsible for everything related to the guild in the state. Yeah. So <laughs> No, it's true. Words, John. No, and that's but I I think it, this is starting to illustrate though just not the impossible task but the the mountain that you all are climbing on a mm-hmm. on 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 a, on a daily basis. Um before you get this is what this is why it's so important that we get together virtually or in person um and this is what paul alluded to like not being here like if i didn't have someone to have a water cooler moment or yeah literally just hey man you just need to listen to me for like 10 minutes and like there's no resolution it's just there's no one else to talk to. About it's just commiser- there's commiseration because you inherently understand what the other person's going through, even though you haven't been through that exact same situation. You, you've but there's seen a possibility us. you might. Yeah. 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 You've seen us, John, like we as guild directors, like there, there's only like there's for us, even 10 years ago, there was only maybe a handful of directors, you know, Scott Graham, who is in Michigan. I might be the right. senior director right now. I Tom McCormick so. retired, you know, yep. from the job in California. And, and so you know, we, we don't have a playbook, right? There was, there was no us before us really. And so we're making it up as we go too. sometimes, you know, and, and as a group of directors and and I include all the, the great people that work for guilds, not just the EDs, we really rely on each other heavily for our own mental health. You know, um, am I doing this right? Am I not? A lot of us sit home alone in our offices all day answering emails and things and making critical decisions. Um, and, and we don't know if we're doing things right. We're just doing the best we can and trying to figure this out. I, I kind of think we're like first gen in a lot yeah. of ways, right? So um, uh, so, so we rely on each other for our own mental health. Uh, that That is for sure. 
Also, I highly recommend a sabbatical. I got two months off last summer. It was supposed to be the summer of yes. 2020, but we all know how that turned out. Um, and I convinced my board, I think we have to vote at the next one, that it's just gonna be part of our vacation policy. If you work for the OCBA for five years, in your fifth year, you get a sabbatical or every five years you get a sabbatical because there's just so much pressure on the regular basis that you need to be able to hit the reset button at least every couple of years. I guess that's technically more every few years, but just yeah. take a vacation. That's what I do. I take a micro sabbatical. Yeah. I go on vacation and I work because I, I, people don't be like, I, I might have an out of office reply, but they have my, uh, they text me, they message me, all of those things. It just never stops. And I'm not complaining because this is the greatest job I've ever had. This is the, I mean, it's the coolest industry in the world with the greatest people, in my opinion. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it can get a little overwhelming. So, so when, when, when I go, Paul, when I, I want you to vacation, set some boundaries. Come on, man. I know I need to, when, when I go on vacation, if I go to someone else's event, I have my festival eyes on, I go, I'm always looking for like opportunities. I go, I, when I went to, uh, um, Iowa, um, I just, I, I found myself at Confluence Brewing Company and I kind of looked around and I'm like, I just asked somebody like, Hey, how long have you been here? I'm like, oh, you know, one year after they opened out, I, I started, I said, I can tell this breweries have got it shit together. I, I look at a lot of breweries and I, you know, I, I see the Teltis and, you know, they ended up winning like a couple world beer cup medals and like it all made sense. So like, I never turned that off. I but like confluence right on the bike path there. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's my idea of, of not working, but also enjoying the people in industry. I love, right. That's what I do. Yeah. That's my and micro micro uh, sabbatical micro sabbatical. Sorry, Paul, were you going to jump in there? No, I didn't know how many more questions you have, but I have one for you. Uh-oh. Um, because, you know, you-, you I asked, like that you think that I prepare with questions. I'm just, I'm well, just lobbing shit out there right now. But yeah, yeah and, we're, and we're lobbing it back. So <laughs> it's like, uh, so it's a, it's a good volley. Um, but I think, you know, for, for a guy like you, you know, and, and I, you know, I know you don't, um, you're not a guy that, that, you know, boasts about yourself, but you are one of the most knowledgeable and most respected beer guys, journalists. You know, I know we all think the world of you, you come and speak at our conferences and things and, and you are a respected voice. So I, I would ask you with all of your knowledge, how have the last 10 years changed in your opinion? I can't get a handle on it. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't anymore. And with so much choice out there, um, it's tough to cut through the noise sometimes to see, you know, so, so that's what I guess from what I was saying before about, you know, the numbers, like the national numbers and the flat and everything else like that. For me, it's always been about being on the ground. It's always been almost like Rob with the, with the micro sabbaticals of sitting in a tap room, having the conversation with folks of being able then to draw out what's happening in the larger industry, you know, cultural wise, flavor wise, um, you know, business wise, that kind of thing. And I, I can understand why there is worry among brewery owners these days and, and, and among, um, you know, folks who make their livelihood off of beer because, uh, there is just such confusion that exists. Um, and, so that that's sort of the the biggest thing. I think ten years ago there was this, um, you know, goal. People were getting into it for a specific reason, and it was that passion, and it was that, um, you know, you'd always have some outliers that would, uh, you know, be trying to do it for, 
you know, for the wrong reasons. Um, and I know that the passion is still there, but it just feels clouded by worry and the pandemic, uh, inflation, um, uh, all of the other issues that have come up in the last couple of years, I, I think have gotten beer away from brewing away from, 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 from the beer itself. And I enjoy that, but I also sort of just miss, you know, the, that cohesiveness that once existed. 10 years ago were simpler times, right? Sure. I, it's simpler how times many, all over the place. Yeah. yeah it's, how many categories yeah. were in the, were at GABF at the time? How many beer styles have evolved in the last 10 years? Yeah. I mean, we were barely talking about hazy 10 years ago. I mean, it's, and now it's, now it's sort of ruling, ruling the roost. Um, I don't want to keep you all too much longer, but I'm curious about, thank you, by the way, Paul, for that. Um, I, I don't know if that was intelligent or not, but um, <laughs> no, the, I, I think you have a, you're a very important voice and opinion. You've, you've seen a whole lot, a whole lot of stuff in the last 10 years and beyond. And so yeah. just really your, your perspective is important in this conversation. Absolutely. The the yep. thing on the 100%. on the festival side of things, um, just to sort of tie that back, because it, it's it's the consumers that drive those numbers that are that cause places to be flat or down, and festivals were always a for me a, a great mini sabbatical to sort of see what people were gravitating towards or what the next potential it brewery on the national scale could be or. Um, new flavors or new styles or things like that. And 10 years ago, we were seeing a lot of distributor fests, um, you know, where it was getting rid of out of code beer in the baseball stadium parking lot kind of thing. Um, and then more niche festivals started uh, popping up of uh, all IPA, all lager, seltzer, whatever. Um, and then for a little while, it was uh, breweries leading the charge with their invitationals and firestone is still doing theirs but some of the others have have come and gone um the constant in the last at least half decade has been the state guild fests where the mission and i know in other states going back further um but the mission being promote the members remind the residents of the bounty that is around them and when you read that Axios piece um, by John Frank, um, uh, it, it does seem like there's doom and gloom. But for the ones that you all have put on, does it give you faith for the future? John, and for the record, he cherry-picked the answers to that because Shawnee from Colorado told him that theirs was alive and well and, yeah. and selling out. And he just didn't include that because it didn't match his predetermined <laughs> narrative. That, yeah. that I can't speak. Yeah. It's I've known John for, for a long time. He's the other reporter that wears a bow tie, but um, <laughs> you wear <yeah>. it better. <laughs> Beer fests are ubiquitous nowadays, right? 10 years yeah. ago, five years ago, like every, everybody puts on a beer fest now. Right. And so yeah. we've always had to distinguish ourselves and, and distinct, like, how are we different as a, as a guild producing a beer festival, then say the guy who comes in from LA and lent, re, rents our science center and throws a beer festival that of course our breweries are going to go to and the distributors are going to go to because they get to sell beer and they get exposure, which exposure is much less of a thing now. Um, but our winter warmer festival in Cleveland sells out and has every year for the last five years and did again this year. And I imagine will again the year after that, because it's limited. It's, it's, 
only we can only sell like 1500 tickets to it because of the size of the venue. And we have our brewers who come to it and they pour the beer directly and they're there to talk to the people, um, which isn't the case in, in every state. We changed a law that enables our brewers to pour it at our festivals and only our festivals so that you are talking to the people who make the beer. And so That's I cool. think focusing on differentiation is something we will continue to have to do. Um, our second festival is 614. It used to go along with Columbus Craft Beer Week, which we had our last Columbus Craft Beer Week last year and decided not to do that again this year. Um, and that one, we moved venues to the Ohio History Center and ticket sales were definitely softer on that one. Is it because we're still coming out of the pandemic? Is it because we moved locations? Was it a ticket price issue? Um, we don't know. And, and we'll continue to examine those things. But I don't, I don't think it's all doom and gloom for beer festivals, especially not for the guilds, because I think we put on a different level of festival. I think I think festivals are kind of a love-hate thing. I mean, I, I, I actually enjoy when there's a moment that lasts about an hour and a half in a three or four hour festival where like, I'd rather be no place else. Like everyone's settled in, everyone's in and um, people are, 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 they're not rushing and, and, um, uh, I, and, and I, I see brewers interacting with each other, people trying other things, including industry people like, oh my gosh, I didn't know they're, we're going to be here. I'm going to try their stuff. That, that's a wonderful time. But, um, you know, at the heart of it, again, not like other uh, uh, industries, you know, those are fundraisers to keep our organization alive. The distributors don't do these kinds of things to keep their trade organization alive. Um, I, I often say if, if the orthodontic surgeons of Arizona don't rent a park and put a bunch of chairs out there and say, hey, 60 bucks and we'll do all the work we can get done in, in three hours. Um, if, you know, it, I know a lot of breweries don't like festivals of this type. Uh, you know, if we could change the due structure so we didn't have to do festivals and our festival would basically be our office party, it would be awesome. But uh, that's not where we're at right now. And I, I don't know what gets us out of that box. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, I, I, I think we have some brand confusion. Like we only do three marquee festivals. We have some partner events we're very selective, but there's dozens in their state. And I can't tell you how many times someone says, Hey man, uh, went to your event. I'm like, that's not our event. And sometimes it's a brewery. And I'm like, you didn't see me there. So it's not our event. <laughs> um, and we got into this late. I mean, I, there's, there were two festivals um, that have finally now ceased operations that predated us by five years. So, you know, we, we, we try to do different things to set ourselves apart. And that's why sometimes we had a fest, we had an indoor festival that we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on only to make 20, $30,000. Like it was ridiculous, but Oof. it was important at the time because we wanted to establish that we could be a host city for this CBC. And we wanted to make sure that the city location that we were using went through all the, you know, because they hadn't had a festival there in 30 years. So it was it was like politically important. But again, we do festivals for different reasons than um, just making money. I mean, some of them we have to make money on, obviously, but um, we've rehoused or rehomed or put in a different time frame every one of our festivals. So before the pandemic, things were happening year over year in the same spot. We've changed all that. And we took some lumps, but... Uh, there was no, there's no today if there wasn't all those changes uh, in the last couple of years. So um, the struggle for festivals is, is 
all the in, all the stuff that people don't see. Um, but uh, I think we could do a better job of right sizing some of our festivals. And and you know, I, I the 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 the, uh, the degrees of freedom I have to say, you know what? Tomorrow we're not selling any tickets because I want to focus on the experience. Like I get to do that all the time. So like when we say it sells out, like it sells out because I say it sells out. And I don't I don't want to try to rush a bunch of people in day of. It's not fair to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll I'll build on what Rob said real quick too. I mean, I, I for us from the beginning, you know, it's all our festivals are unique. It's all New York State beer. And like with Mary's festivals, only the brewers pour the beer or the brewery owners. So that makes them unique as well. But that doesn't really seem to be enough anymore. Uh, I think so. You know, we've always been about, um, you know, I've been preaching how breweries need to adapt. Um, and and I think so do we. So, uh, you know, our beer festivals were making more experiential. It's just not enough to have 60 New York State breweries from all over the state, you know, in Buffalo and Syracuse and Long Island and Albany. Um, you know, that's fine. That'll draw a certain number of tickets. But, you know, for our Buffalo Festival, you know, at the outdoor festival, we have uh, axe throwing, we have um, paintball, we have like games and things and, and music and like, you know, it just kind of up, upping it a little bit to make it more experiential instead of just four hours of drinking. Um, and, and, you know, the venues that we choose are, are very important. You know, you'll never find pipe and drape. Uh, or a convention center in any of our things. We we just have a beer festival in Long Island at the oldest German club in the Northeast, and it's a lager Ooh. festival, and we've called it Das Bach. Um, it's a cool venue. How did I miss that? It, okay. it is yeah, it is so much fun, and, and, and it's experiential. People, it's just a different vibe, and 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 again, it's, so you take so I, it's kind of to me, it's like I'm challenging my staff and ourselves to to take our our beer festivals of 10 years ago and do a 2.0 or a 3.0 version of them to keep them relevant and to keep people coming. So as you not even think about the next 10 years, but um, I know there's legislative focus. I know there's, there's, there's change um, focus. What is a, a, a cultural focus that you would like your member breweries to be thinking of over the course of the next year, Rob, what is a cultural focus? Yeah. I, I know I you think, had mentioned hospitality before, but is, is there, is there something else, you know, that, you know, to sort of get us back into that, you know, this yeah, can I, be fun. This can be, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, it's again, getting back to what, what we got, what we, what appealed to us in this industry is, is getting together uh, across breweries. Um, I, I think we're the, we're the natural uh, hosts for inviting distributors into conversations, re retailers into conversations. I mean, um, we are that m most of the places that are, that we love, that you love, that, uh, that we're proud of are, are, you know, considered third places where you go there, uh, you go there alone, not to drink alone, and and you, you just never know who you're going to run into. Uh, I think that's what we have to um, focus on, and I, I think um, I've been reading a lot about culture in general. In general, and I, I think um, you know during the pandemic there was a lot of talk about like, well, you can't piss off fifty percent of the, your customer base. Well, I, I'm here to say you can. <laughs> I'm here to say 
that you can draw circles around who you want to associate with. And if you make that very clear in your messaging, um, you can you can service who you want to service and you can uh, you can focus on on what it is you, you want to do with that space. I, I think we um, in our state, because we're again, we're, we're, we have some people who are definitely competitive in the package and wide scale distribution market with our own, within our own state. There's no doubt about that. Um, there is a future for a, a few more players in that zone. But for most of our taproom breweries, is taking control of space and, um, again, just infusing inspiration from your peers. Mary, what would you like to see over the course of the next year? We, I mean, we continue to try to bring our industry people together. Um, our conference is a big time to do that when they get to interact with people from around the state because they've left their their work back in whatever city or town they've come from and they're there to focus and learn um, as an industry. Uh, we've got quarterly meetings that have always been fairly well attended. And then we added regional happy hours. So my staff and I take one day a month and we pick a direction. Okay, we're gonna go visit the Southeast corner of the state and then set up six to eight brewery visits to check in with our members, see how they're doing, see what their needs are. Um, and then at the last stop of the day, we added a regional happy hour that literally anyone from around the state is invited to. If you want to get in your car and drive one to four hours, <laughs> you can come <laughs> join us at the happy hour um, mm -hmm. and just reinforce the the reason we all got into this industry was the collaborative nature and the helpfulness of your fellow industry people. And and that's really what we're we're focusing on is is like trying to get everybody to continue to have that less of a feeling of competition and more collaboration. Paul, what about you? Yeah, I think the the message of you know really encouraging breweries to be who they are to adapt. Um, you know, we we are doing more things. Um, you know, like like Mary and 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 other states where I'm doing regional meetings every year. So we we cover the whole state for three months and we visit breweries and we have meetings. Our conference is growing every year. Uh, which is super important, um, you know, for a lot of breweries to get together and not only learn, um, but to be together and, and, and you know, it goes back to that therapy part and, and all of that, where they can all just get together and talk uh, through their issues and continue to grow and stay the course. And also, you know, um, and I'm going to go back to that word adapt, you know, they need to adapt to this, this new world. Um, you know, don't, don't, you know, the old world of like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a wholesaler and, and I'm going to sell my beer, uh, you know, all around the state. Well, I'm hearing from breweries now in New York that wholesalers aren't taking any more breweries. Yeah. Right. So, it's so not just know, in New York, but yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so their access to market is, is you, you've got to look, look internally, um, you know, start selling beer out of your tap room, be selfish. Don't, don't, you know, find new ways to stay relevant. And we, as a guild, that is our job. When you say the next year, the next 10 years, I think guilds are more important than ever right now through these times, because we're here for them. This is our job, right? It is to be there for them, for them to pick up the phone, for us to create these events and create these experiences and these educational opportunities um, to keep them going, to have their backs. Um, and, and so that's kind of really going to be our focus, um, you know, in the next year. And, and hopefully, you know, I don't know if I'll be in this chair in 10 years, but certainly the next several years, hopefully. Well, I have kept you all three well past uh, the time that I, that I promised. And Mary, I know you you have a staff meeting and I apologize for making you late <laughs> for that. Um, 
so I will say that I, I hope all three of you will come back um, before 10 years from now uh, to, 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 to share the additional insights. And then I can ask you the green door question then, but um, <laughs> Rob, Mary and Paul, thanks for, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thanks for having us. We look forward to having a beer with you again sometime soon. And you're coming uh, to Ohio in January. I'm coming to Ohio in January. Uh, Sean Norris gets me first in Florida, but yes, it's uh, <laughs> we're, we're all pouring beer at GABF. Uh, I will probably see you there. Excellent. But yeah, yes to all of the all, all all of the above. So thank you, thanks to the three of you. Thank you, John. Cheers. Thank you. What's a change you've noticed in the last decade, and what would you like to see happen in beer? Email me and tell me about it. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeard.com or tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with questions, comments, and guest suggestions. A reminder, go visit allaboutbeard.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. Don't forget, you can also follow All About Beer on social media at All About Beer. Hey, we're even on threads these days. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com, or you can simply go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. As promised, Caleb Schwacki of Yakima Valley Hops is back with me. The company is a sponsor of this episode, and we're talking about experimental hops. And earlier, we learned about HBC 1134. But now, Caleb, tell us about HBC 1019. So HBC 1019 was another one that had a really good showing at CBC in Nashville this year. And for me, the first time I tried it, it's easily one of the most surprising hops. And I try a ton of hops and a ton of beer. And, <laughs> you know, there's always new varieties, but this is one of the few varieties where I like I just sat back and said, wow, because it is it's just huge, potent fruit flavors. You got some stone fruit in there, sweet fruit, tropical fruit. But then there's like some very uh, unique, interesting stuff going on in the background. Uh, so two of the first breweries that sponsored acreage for 1019 was Rubens Brews here in Washington State and then sure. Odell Brewing. So they were the first ones to be brewing with it the past couple of years. And some of them, depending on their usage, uh, they started getting uh, like some really uh, like caramelized bananas. Uh, some people described like a dark rum character. So there's like some really interesting like depth of flavor to it that just isn't present anywhere else. So it's it's an amazing hazy IPA hop. It can hold a beer completely on its own as a single hop. It also works well with other ones. So it's really surprising. And I'm I just can't wait for it to get a full name and get released. And I think it's going to be stellar. That's really cool. That's that that's exciting to hear. And I mean, obviously a lot of those great fruit flavors are what I think brewers are looking for it because it's what drinkers are looking for. And when you can find one of those hops that really latches on to I guess the zeitgeist of our time, that's, it's got to be exciting. Yeah, it, it's going to find a special place in, in the craft beer industry because brewers already like it. And, you know, I think as consumers and beer drinkers get a, get a taste of it, that's going to be one that they're going to start asking for by name once it has a name. Once it has a name. Yeah. Well, thanks, Caleb. We'll be on the lookout for that. And I'm going to encourage everybody to please go visit yakimavalleyhops.com. You can learn about HBC 1019, as well as the earlier mentioned HBC 1134, as well as everything else that the company has to offer. And my thanks to Yakima Valley Hops for supporting All About Beer.
Also, if you plan on being in Colorado in a few weeks for the Great American Beer Festival, you need to check out the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. It happens on Friday, September 22nd, and it brings together 64 of America's best craft breweries, all for a great cause, the Pines for Prostates campaign. The beer list is incredible, packed with rare, exotic, and vintage beers you won't find anywhere else. These are legendary beers. The breweries hold back just for the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. This is a bucket list event for both beer fans and for brewers. You can get a look at the beer list and find more information, including tickets, at pintsforprostates.org. All-inclusive tickets are just $200 and include unlimited beer samples, a great buffet lunch, t-shirt, tasting glass, and program. Money raised goes to the fight against prostate cancer, including a free health screening before the event. It's a simple blood test that checks for common health issues that might just save your life. That's the Denver Rare Beer Tasting, drinking beer and saving lives. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel. Just go search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. Listen to that show. It's a lot of fun. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday of this show, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.